Good morning. Was that not some awesome worship, though? Don't want to just say singing, but it was awesome. Hey, I'm uh, privileged to be here with you uh, this morning, and I appreciate uh, the university, uh, Chaplain Duane, and uh, the other leadership for inviting me. I, I, I just, I just appreciate you, and uh, I like your hunger. I get a chance to go around to a number of universities, and I serve uh, with uh, a couple of universities in this way, and I, I love the prayer being the undergirding foundation to what uh, is going on here. And it's being noised abroad. Not only do you have every state represented here and, and several countries represented here, that, that means that God has the potential of using every one of these students to impact uh, this whole nation. So all, literally overnight, there could be a sweeping revival that could shake this country up based on what's going on in the hearts of every person listening to me in the sound of my voice right now. And what I want to ask you is this. Are you that revolutionary who feel the call of God in your heart that you must not die until the purposes of God are fulfilled in your life? Or are you just here, like the typical American, just want to get your education so that you could just make it in life and uh, not be poor? Is there that divine sense of the call of God in your heart? Is there more to you than existing? Are you living? The word of God says, uh, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. If I were to uh, give a topic, and most of the time I don't, I'm really good these days at Smuggersburgs, and for the biblical apologists in here, they wouldn't like me talking like that. But uh, I think that um, when I really look at Jesus and his teachings, they were more like Smuggersburgs, if you really look at it closely, vignettes, so I can justify myself with that. I would say I want to talk this morning on a topic called Call Out the Revolutionaries. I asked Tim Clinton uh, before I came in here, uh, were these people ready? Could they handle the truth? I want to ask you, can you handle the truth? Do you want it strong or do you want it soft? Okay. Do you want it straight? Then no, no little, I should say, this word isn't, pos isn't popular right now, but no just kind of cheesing up to you to make sure there's a good sermon or do you want just the truth right out? Okay, I just want to know. All two of you, at least all two of you, I'll go ahead and tell the truth to bona fide. The rest of you, I, I think that you're probably uh, uh, afraid to answer, but that's okay. If, you'll, if you have your Bibles, look with me in Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven, by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And of course, this is repeated uh, several times. The next city they went to, of course, uh, just for the sake of time, they went to Jericho. 
and Elijah tried to get Elisha to leave him. In the midst of all of this, you can clearly see that the sons of the prophets, look at verse 5 with me, in the, the last, in this case in Jericho, said that um, they came to Elisha, meaning the, the, the servant, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. There's a, there's a lot in that. Verse 6. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And this is the last place then, uh, from Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And then he says, and he said, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Look at verse 7. And 50 of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view. Look at this phrase, afar off. Look at that. Afar off. They viewed afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that the two went on over on dry ground. And it came to pass that when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee. Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. This is incredible. I can't hardly read the rest of it, but I, I must. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, there is a, a great two phrases they went on and talked that before they appeared uh, behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind unto heaven verse 12 and Elijah saw it and he cried my father my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof let me pray father thank you so much for the revelation of your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this convocation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that these are good ground for what we're going to say this morning. And I thank you that they want the truth. They said it. Lord, we believe you. We want to be the called out ones. We want to be the ones you use. Thank you for calling us. Faithful are you who called us, who also will do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you have a divine sense of the call of the Lord on your life? It doesn't matter what gender you are. really doesn't matter what race you are. There are several things that, that are true about you and me, and that is that we didn't choose our race. We didn't choose our family in the truest sense in terms of when we would be born and who would raise us in most cases. We didn't also, in, in some cases, uh, choose this divine sense of having the Lord in our center. Somehow, the scriptures have come to true in our own lives where Jesus said, no man can come to the Father except he be drawn. So even though uh, you may have the sense of God in your heart, and even though you may be born again, it was the Lord that decided to come to you to make himself known to you in a real way. You and I could have been born in a developing nation that could have been other some, some religious uh, practice, serving some religious practice, and you never heard the name of Jesus one time. 
Of course, over half of the world, even today, have never heard the name of Jesus one time. And so this message that Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom should be preached as a witness to the whole world, and then shall the end come, it's based upon somebody having a divine sense of a call of God in their lives and having a passion to get this gospel of the kingdom. Now, there's a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of Christ. Christ, of course, is that propitiatory sacrifice who died for us to come to the saving knowledge of, uh, of Jesus Christ and also to get to know our Father. But the gospel of the kingdom is the application of the word of God and the principles of God into every sphere of life. It's one thing to have a, uh, a worldly biblical view. And some of you are studying in different uh, disciplines, uh, economics, science, medicine, different kinds of understanding you have. But do you have a biblical worldview? Meaning the Bible is the starting place by which you judge everything. Meaning that if you're in the science field, do you have a biblical view of science? If you're in economics, do you have a biblical view of economics? And some of your viewpoint has to do not only with your having an encounter with God, but whether or not you have a, this, a father or someone who has discipled you into the right understanding of the area in which you are going. The other thing that, to understand is did you choose the, the field that you're in? Or did God choose that for you? Is there a sense of discontinuity in your life? Meaning that your life is not just an issue of intellect, research, and study. Do you have a vital relationship with God in the closet of total surrender? Is your prayer life real? Is God a mystical figure to you? And you like the way uh, your friends pray. You like even the way Pastor Johnny prays. But you yourself are not in there close with God. Well, I think that has something to do also, not only with personal devotion, but who God sends around you. This encounter with Elijah is something that is, I love reading it, because here you have a young man, Elisha, who became a servant of Elijah. Can I walk around here? And being a servant of Elijah, it means he had somebody to be able to not just mentor him, but to father him in the things of the spirit. Who's your spiritual father? Who's the one who lives a devoted life whose passions are so strong with God that you've got to be close to them? And that that person influences you so much that your ideas, your devotion is strong, your commitment to God is strong, and you're able to not only hear and read the principles, but somebody is walking in the thing you believe. This is what you have here in this relationship or in this scripture with Elijah. But yet, Elijah, of course, obviously had a school called the School of the Prophets. And, and, and so he just didn't teach by precepts, he also taught by practice. So that he wasn't just, what one brother said, having a toot. His fruit matched his toot. And this is a challenge we have today with so many of you young people, is that you're, so many people are turned off with religion because that's exactly what it is. Meaning that the walk of the religious leaders doesn't match the talk. And so therefore, I want to know, do you have a dad? And then I want to know further, does your talk, is, is it matched by your walk? Can somebody follow your life?
Is there anybody who want to be close to you because you are walking it in such a way that you, got, you have disciples? When we started our campus ministry in certain schools, because we realized that they were really uh, very few historically black college campus ministries that were reaching out to the historically black college campuses. There were about 110, but now there are only something that we're around 103 around there in terms of having a Christian movement coming on those campuses that would declare that the leaders of tomorrow are the followers of Jesus Christ today. And, and, and if you were to look at it, there are many major ministries like Campus Crusade and Campus Life and, and numbers of different so-called white campus ministries, but in the black community and in the black colleges, they didn't have that kind of national movement. So that the declension that you, we've been able to see in the black community by the emerging leaders of those who have finished college is not a mistake because somehow those schools were not good grounds for those students to be changed. Now, the assumption is that if they are uh, historically black college campuses, there need to be black people discipling them. But if you go back into history, you'll discover that some of the, and many of the major black college campuses weren't started by black people. They were started by white people who saw the value after emancipation of the education of black folks, but they used education as a tool to disciple people into the principles of the book. And so they understood the value of not only having the principles, but also discipling. This is what also happened after emancipation by blacks being in slavery. They were 99% illiterate. And they were told generationally, now think over 200 years of slavery, that they were incapable of learning and they were treated as chattel. Now there's a disconnect with American students in the history of America as it relates to slavery. And I mentioned last night in, uh, in, at Thomas Rhodes about slavery and, and there are, there's a generation today that says, well, why do we need to even discuss that? There's no such thing as slavery today, so I, I'm, I'm not connected to that. Well, there's a lot I could say about that. But I can simply say to you that that's not how Canadians feel who study American history. That's not how Europeans feel who study American history. And even some of the developing nations know American history better than, than we do. Because we are where we are today in terms of our conflict resolution because somebody don't know what the past was all about to try to make our present better to ensure our future so that the bottom line of what God wants out of the church is that this prayer would be fulfilled. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now that's a, have you ever really listened to that prayer rather than just repeat it? He's saying that there is going to be somehow a standard in the earth that precedes us being caught away into heaven that in the earth there is going to be a kingdom that is going to be so manifest that when we all go to heaven we're already going to be operating like heaven operates before we get there are you good ground for that one more question will the believers who are going to be in heaven who are going to be around the throne of God. We can see that in Revelation 7 and 9 right now, that around the throne of God are all people and languages and kindreds. You know, watch this. And nations, they're around the throne worshiping the Lord right now. So what's the deal if already in the heavenlies 
All these different races are around the throne of God, worshiping God the Father, who is the creator of us all. If they can all come together, we can see that in the future. And Jesus said, pray this way, in earth as it is in heaven, why aren't we unified in earth as the church to set the light example for the world to see? Why aren't we like that now to let God know he's right by rapturing us and taking us to heaven because we already are operating like that now. What's the issue? The issue is biblical worldview. Believers operating like Christ would operate to set a standard of life that's so much like Christ that our lives are an attraction to the ungodly. Right now, whew, right now, God is waiting for an emerging new generation to come forth that is bibliocentric. Now, we had a patriarch past. We had a, he may go down uh, in history as a reformer. History has to say what Dr. Farwell has been to his generation. But some of you say, well, I can't step in his shoes. Why not? You understand, because you're looking at the man rather than the one that gave the man the stuff he had to do what he did. So therefore, you can't match what he did unless you match his devotion level that got him to where he was. Are you just going to the school where a great man was, or have you been drawn here to be great? Where are the Elijahs of God and where are the Elishas that had to get some of him? They were not the 50 that prophesied from afar off. They're not the ones that kind of stayed in, 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 in hiding out, not being close to the man of God because of several reasons. Why? They didn't want accountability. They didn't want to have to be responsible for the future. They, they, they don't want to be too committed because by being too committed, there may be more work required of me. There, there may be a hidden agenda that's going on in your life because you may be into your little boyfriend or into your little girlfriend thing and you don't want nobody questioning you because now you left your mama's house and you left your daddy's house and you think you can do anything you want. Not under God because God says, where can you go from my presence? If you are... Descend into hell, I am there. If you ascend into heaven, I am there. God is everywhere. But are you everywhere in your thinking? Are you sound? Are you living for the Lord? Can God turn over into your hands the responsibility of this generation? Oh, I'm just a female. You're just a female. What is that? You telling me that God is limited by gender? You telling me that Christ in you, the hope of glory, can't do what God can do because of your gender? You mean he created a limitation because you're a female? Oh, don't shout me down now because I'm preaching good. This is serious business. Our culture is sliding in such an obvious way that none of us have to guess about it. The politicians, we got super Tuesday, but almost none of us We'll call those leaders that was going to be the political leaders for our nation super. Because almost none of them seemingly have the standards that we endorse. 
Dr. Dobson, who's holding the line about certain standards, he said, I'd rather die than vote for anybody that's not a 100 percenter. What does he mean? One is the issue of abortion. Some of us don't even know about voting our values. And uh, look, I'm challenged. I, I know how many blacks say, uh, man, look, we have an opportunity for a black man to become president. And, and boy, this, is, this will be history. Or a female to become president. I'm not going to vote for anybody because there's never been a female president or a black president. I'm going to vote the Bible. I'm going to vote somebody that stands on the word of God. We're in here trying to make cultural history. It's all right to be culturally conscious, but not to be culturally controlled. You don't get your worldview from your culture. You get your worldview from the creator of cultures. I stand on the word of God. Let every man be a liar, but let the word of God be true. Who are the new emerging leaders? If not you, then who? It's not now, right now dedicated, right now surrendered, right now consecrated, right now a prayer, house of prayer, right now a, a person who knows the Bible. The politicians sold us out and have the culture confused right now on what to believe. I can go into it more fully. But over the issue of abortion, I, my new book that John, Johnny was talking about is called Black Genocide, the Tragedy of the American People. My understatement to that is something called black self-genocide. Why? Because genocide is a word that relates to one culture trying to systematically destroy another one. Now, this actually did happen, and you know from slavery, which Wesley calls men-stealing, the Bible says that there is a death penalty for stealing folks from and keeping them enslaved. And we did that for several hundred years. But America didn't deal with slavery by, by revelation, they dealt with it by tribulation, right? They, England dealt with it by William Wilberforce, who pricked the conscience of England. And after 33 years of preaching, they, they made the decision to do what's right. But America, we were unbroken. 1857, Great Awakening, uh, didn't break us. Jeremiah Lamphere, New York, caused those prayer meetings to start. We didn't deal with the racial division. Well, why, why are you talking about race, Bishop? No, I'm talking about a Christian culture that affects the nation, that becomes the salt and light that gives God the right clue that we are the ones that you can take to heaven. And heaven and the future and all the other future world will be right because we embrace your principles, live these principles out, and demonstrate on earth what was true about heaven became reality in the earth. That's what I'm talking about. Race and conflict resolution is just one of those times to apply it, to see how it's been working in our country. It hasn't worked in our country yet. That's why you had a war fought. The issue wasn't over caring for people. The issue was expansionism. Jefferson, we're in Jefferson country. Now, some people mentioned to me about Jefferson's land, and etc. Let's face it, the great achievement of Jefferson was the, 18, was the Louisiana Purchase, which doubled the size of the United States, 1805. What were we dealing with? Expansionism. Was slavery in the South and free labor going to be, the, was that going to be the, 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 the ones, the, the, the philosophy that ruled this country? Or was it the freedom, industrialism of the North? 
war broke out regarding all that. Not that we, Jesus convicted the hearts of folks and we wanted to do what's right. That's why 12 years after emancipation, there was the 1877 compromise in which Rutherford B. Hayes, basically those two states that our present president had trouble with, which were Louisiana and Florida, were the ones that were the deciding votes that allowed for Rutherford B. Hayes to take those southern troops out of, those northern troops out of the south that allowed for us to be thrown back into cultural declension. Because when those southern, those northern troops left the south, blacks who had gotten political gains, I mean legally voted into office, they were literally torn out of those offices and, and then watch. And, through the, and after that, 1878, the, the KKK emerged. Then in other places, the, 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 uh, the, uh, all these different secret organizations emerged, but that through the rule of law, they were able to mistreat a people group, and we ended up having segregation, Jim Crow laws, and a voting rights act as late as 1965. Now, where was the church in all of that? Why do we let the culture fall to that? And why do we have to today have to be confused about justice issues? Hey, you remember this guy in California? I can't remember his name. He's beaten up by the people. And he asked this person that became famous, why can't we all get along? What's the answer? Because we either don't have Christ or the Christ we have isn't the real one. Because the true church of Jesus Christ is going to be unified and race is not going to be an issue on earth before we ever get to heaven. Now, I asked the question, how many blacks are in attendance here? And they said it ranged between 10 to 20 percent. And for, to get that many out here in the boondocks in Lynchburg, you got practically revival going on right here. <laughs> I could go further with this. But what I want to do now is hone it on in. Do you have a spiritual father? Are you a true disciple? Are you serving God from afar off? Are you under accountability? Can God pass a mantle down to you? Notice, Elijah did not ask the 50 that were over across the river, whether it was the river of, over there, Bethel, or whether it was Jericho, or whether it was Jordan. Look up the definition of those terms. It says something about what they were dealing with in terms of the nature and character of what God wanted to impart. Be interesting for you as biblicists to look up that, but let, let me go further. Because he was close to his dad, he was the faithful one. He was the consistent one. Is there anybody you're faithful and consistent with? Are you reliable? Or do you say, well, I'm just young. What's, what's the age minimum for responsibility? Who are you? Why aren't you leading? What's your metron, your measure of rule? Where, is God, where can God place you right now? Elisha was close enough to Elijah to show his faithfulness to want to carry the next generation to where it's supposed to be. And so therefore, he was ready for the question that was asked. Ask what I can do for you. If God said that to you right now, what would you want from him? Or are you too far from him for him even to ask you that question? When are you going to get close to God? When is this thing going to become real to you? You have a date 
with destiny. And it's not based upon lukewarm, conservative Christianity. And I'm not talking about political conservative. You know if you're hot and on fire or not. You know if you're living, if you're in the word every day. When's the last time you read through the Bible? Do you have a Bible read through all the time? Who, who are you accountable to? And then, if you are left by yourself, is your life so real that if you have to set a new standard and you struck the challenges of your day with your lifestyle, could you part the waters based on your devotion? There are a lot of things that need to be changed right now. And you're an agent of change. But if you don't see it, and if you don't know it, then you're waiting on somebody else to do what you ordained to do. When are you going to rise up? When are you going to start making excuses? When are you going to be a disciple? When are you going to see people across every boundary? When are you going to be used? Not only are you a disciple, but is anybody following you? Are there people knocking on your door, your room door, and says, look, would you pray with me? Would you help me? Would you help me grow up? Why? Because it's your day. What's the basis? Is there anything you need to repent for? Are you devout? Listen, are you consecrated? Are you holy? Now, I didn't even mention the sex scandals. I didn't mention the economic scandals that's going on. I didn't mention a lot of other things. But what I want to know right now, is this a convocation and it's just somebody talking? Or are you going to the next level? And if you are not right before God, what are you going to do with it? If God can't use you as the new Elisha, who is he going to use? I'll say this. I'm an oldie. I'm a bona fide oldie. But I don't want to get before God in a great day. And God has to say to me, free from me. I never knew you. You work of iniquity. Enter into everlasting damnation. God must say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord is my prayer in Jesus' name.